Welcome to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. At Victory, we value love in action through growing, connecting, serving, and giving. We work to show God's love and share His truth as we love and serve the Lord Jesus Christ together. Here's this week's sermon by Pastor Terry Green. So we have some special guests who snuck in today. My older brother, my older sister, and my younger brother all here. And so you guys need to sit right here because you need this. No, no. Uh, it, we've had a couple days with them. My brother Don flew in from, Donnie flew in from Indiana, and Denise came down from the White Mountains, and my younger sister Lori too, and then Kathy and I went down from here, and Jim and Chris hosted at their house. And we've had a gathering of family some storytelling. So you can talk with Jim and Denise. They were around when I was growing up and they'll tell you what a sweet, kind, gracious boy that I was. So. Uh, yeah. No, it, it, uh, it is a blessing that God forgives, isn't it? We all desperately need it. The sad thing is some people don't realize they need it. And those of us who really realized we needed it, what a blessing to be forgiven. We're beginning a series uh, on the speaking from the cross. And today we're going to start in Luke 23. We'll read there in just a little bit. So if you can click there or turn there, that'd be great. Now, the last words someone speaks before they die can sometimes have a big impact on those who hear them. My siblings and I still laugh at some of the things mom and dad said before they died, especially mom, hilarious things she said uh, shortly before she died, and we still laugh about that. And in this series, we're going to talk about some of the last words that Jesus spoke when he was dying on the cross, uh, paying the penalty for our sins. But these aren't really the last words of Jesus, because uh, unlike our mom and dad, Jesus didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And uh, he, after his resurrection, he spoke to many of the men and women who walked with him on the earth. He had one-on-one conversations like with Mary Magdalene and with Peter. He had small group conversations with the 11 apostles that were remaining after Judas had killed himself. He, he had uh, some other conversations with small groups of people. At one time, he met with more than 500 of them all at once, and they all got to see him and hear from him. Uh, but even after he ascended into heaven, he had a conversation with a guy named Saul of Tarsus, who would become the Apostle Paul, and he converts Jesus in heaven, Saul on earth, and they had that conversation. And even uh, John the Apostle had a great conversation with Jesus on the Isle of Patmos when uh, Jesus met him and revealed uh, what would become the book of the Revelation. And, and John recorded it and was the scribe for it. And so uh, the end of his life on earth was not the end of his life. And, and yours isn't either, but he came back to life on earth. You won't till uh, you'll ascend to heaven and then we'll all come back to earth together. Hopefully we'll all go up together too. That'd be awesome. Uh, I'm tired of funerals. It'd be great if we could uh, all go at once. Um, but the final words that people say give us insight into who they are and their character. And, you know, some people are just crazy, a little goofy. And there was one guy who was being hung for a horse thief. And, and he, as, he, as he's 
they put the noose around his neck and they said, do you have any final words? He said, yeah, do I jump or slide off? I've never been hung before. <laughs> but, but the words of Jesus have a lot more substance than that, don't they? The words of Jesus reveal his character, his nature, and some guidance for us in our lives. We get spiritual strength and focus because Jesus had spiritual strength and focus. And so we can think about the end of our mortality, the end of our time on earth, and, and be blessed because of what Jesus did and how he handled it. So in Luke uh, chapter 23, we're going to begin reading in verse number 32. Luke 23, verse 32. There were two others, criminals, led with him to be put to death. And when they had come to the place called Calvary, there they crucified him and the criminals, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Isn't it interesting that even in the crucifixion, Jesus is the center He's the center of all life, the center of the universe, and he's the center of the crucifixion. Verse 34, then Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They do not know what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots, and the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, he saved others. Let him save himself if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. The soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, if you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. Heavenly Father, as we look in your word today, I pray that you would help us to tune out distractions. I pray that you would help us to focus on who you are and what you want to speak into our hearts and lives. We realize uh, we don't need to just listen to a preacher, we need to listen to the Holy Spirit as he speaks into our hearts. So I pray that we would listen, that we would learn, that we would be drawn closer, that this message might have a spiritual impact in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, Jesus was hanging on the cross. He was flanked by two thieves, two criminals who were being put to death, they justly, him unjustly. He was surrounded by people who laughed at him and mocked at him and made fun of him. The, the soldier who spat in his face was probably there looking up at the cross. And, and we know there were soldiers there gambling for his clothes uh, to see who would get it because it was a beautiful garment and they didn't want to cut it up. They wanted to keep it whole. So they gambled for it exactly like the scriptures in the Old Testament said they would. And there were the Jewish priests who had rejected him and turned away from him and rejected that Jesus was fulfilling the scriptures. There were the political elite who had been afraid of him. And now they were laughing. They thought they had won the victory because they were putting Jesus to death and they were mocking and they were laughing. And for them, the crucifixion was a community event. You know, I'm glad we don't live in those days, but in the old days out here in the West, when they had a hanging, it was a community event. Uh, people would come in from out in the boonies, they'd ride their horses, they'd come in on wagons, they'd bring picnics, they'd sit there and they'd eat their picnic and they'd watch the hanging. And that's how the crucifixion was. People came and they watched and they were grateful they weren't the ones up there and they made fun of the ones that were up there. But for Jesus... The crucifixion was not a community event. 
For Jesus, it was so much more. For Jesus, it was his opportunity to showcase and demonstrate and fulfill the mercy and the grace of God. He could show the mercy of not holding our sins against us, the grace of giving us more opportunities. He he was showing that he alone could save. We desperately needed a savior and he was the savior, not just God, but savior, redeemer. And so Jesus was, uh, try, try to imagine him on the cross with the noise and the smells and the incredible pain and maybe he makes eye contact with a few of the people that were involved in the crucifixion. Now imagine him on the cross saying these words, please say them with me. Father, forgive them for they do not know what they do. Wow. You know, sometimes brothers act out toward each other. And I don't think Jim and I ever looked at the other one and said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. But Jesus did that for us. For the very people who caused his pain, the very people who um, were brutal toward him in life and in death, And Jesus was not giving blanket immunity for every sin they might ever do. Some people think that, but that's not what was going on here. He was asking the Father not to let that one sinful choice be their last chance of redemption. See, even in his agony on the cross, he was fulfilling what he came to do. He came to seek and to save the lost. He came to give his life a ransom for many. Now, people can sin in many ways. And we're going to look at a couple of those ways. Can you click that up? People can sin in many ways. First of all, we can do a sin of commission. That's when you do something you should not do. All right, confession time. Is, is that okay? Let, let's uh, make our deacons confess something here. John, what's something that you did that you shouldn't do? Maybe you can go back 40 years if you have to, but what's something you did that you shouldn't have done? Okay, Okay. so that's a sin of commission. Then there's a sin of omission. Uh, Ben, what's something that you did that you didn't do that you should have done? You can go back to your child. Show respect to people in authority, parents, teachers. Yeah, so we got lying, disrespectful deacons. Wow. (laughs) Praise God, Jesus changes lives. Aren't you glad? All right, now there's other ways we can look at sin, and that is there's willful sin when you know the right path, but you don't follow it, and then there's sins of ignorance when you didn't know or you aren't sure and, and you still broke the law. I was driving in uh, Oregon, and I'm driving in a 45-mile-an-hour zone, and it, there's a little snow on the ground, so I was driving a little slower, and I was going about 40, and I got pulled over. I said, I was going 40 in a 45 zone. He said, this is a 25 zone. Well, the, the sign that changed, there was no warning that it was dropping, and the sign was completely covered up by a truck parked on the side of the road. And I said to him, I didn't see the sign. I thought I was going under the speed limit. If I'd seen the 25 mile an hour sign, I would have slowed down. And he said, ignorance of the law is no excuse. Do you know that's true spiritually? 
Ignorance of God's law is no excuse. All right, so I confessed my sin of ignorance, so we'll go to Deacon Pennock and we'll say, Tim, uh, when was a time when you were willful, you knew the right thing and didn't do it? Wow. <laughs> Just one, Tim. <laughs> Ah, okay. Not last week, okay? He's, he's going way back, okay? Now, praise God that he gives us an opportunity to overcome the penalties of our sin. Now, we could imagine a scenario where you do all four of these, go ahead and pop up all four, where you do them all at the same time. Can you guys pop up the next one, please? Um, you're supposed to do something, but you don't. So now you've done the sin of omission. And uh, you didn't want to do it, so you didn't do it. That's willful omission. But now, instead of doing the right thing, you're going to do something else, and that's commission. But you didn't really realize it was wrong, so that's ignorance. Now you've done all four. Now, God does not give style points for creativity. Okay? God hates sin. Sin hurts the heart of God just like it hurt the body of Christ on the cross. God doesn't give style points. There's no cute or funny sins from God's perspective. Whether you sin in one way or in every way, you sin against a righteous and holy God. And in James chapter 2, the scripture says that if you break God's laws in only one way, you have become a lawbreaker and you are guilty of the breaking the law. And unless you repent and receive the forgiveness of Jesus Christ, then you're going to face the wrath and justice of God without his mercy and his grace. And that's pretty awful when you read in the scripture. So sin hurts the heart of God, but it also hurts people. Sin hurts people. It hurts the people who are sinning. You know, we could tell stories all day long about things that we did when we were younger and when we were little and we got in trouble and, and we had punishment put on us because of the sin that we did, you know. I mean, Bill and Faye are celebrating their 63rd wedding anniversary and they got some daughters here and they could tell you some stories on those girls. And those girls could tell you some stories on them too. Uh, but see, we, we know that sin hurts the person who did the sin, but sin also has a ripple effect that it hurts the people around. It hurts the people around. It's not just the one who did it. It hurts other people. Uh, so uh, drunk drivers often survive an accident, but the people in the other car often die. Uh, Pharaoh sinned and rebelled against God and as a direct result of his sin many Hebrews suffered and not only that the, his entire army was wiped out in the Red Sea because of his sinful actions King Saul sinfully ordered the deaths of 85 priests because he thought they were helping David who he thought was an enemy the man who killed the priests also killed the families of the priests and wiped out an entire city Every person in that city, except for Abiathar, who escaped and, and lived to go and report the slaughter to David. 
your sin hurts you and your sin hurts others and their sins hurt you. We get it from both sides. Now, the good news is that God is willing to forgive all. Read this verse with me. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Isn't that great? He forgives. He cleanses. So, even though... Uh, people that I know have had juvenile records that were then uh, suspended. God's record was completely removed. There's no record anymore. Uh, Some people have gone to court and they've got an old thing expunged. God expunges it down to the soul level inside you. He cleanses you from all your sin. If you confess, because God is willing to forgive all. Well, what do we mean by all? Well, we mean all who repent. God's willing to forgive everyone if they confess their sin. He will forgive. Not only that, he's willing to forgive all sins. You know, he's not going to hold things against you later on. He's not going to tell embarrassing stories of what you were like when you were a kid, because that's a bad thing to do, just, just for the record. <laughs> We did some of that this week. We told some good stories too. But God's willing to forgive all the sins, that's each individual sin, of all the people, each individual person. He is willing to forgive all. Aren't you glad? I know we're Baptists, but a little amen there would have been great. Okay. All right. Now God also wants us to be forgiving people. He wants us to be forgiving people. You see on the screen, Matthew 18. If you can turn over there, that would be great. Matthew 18. We're going to look at a passage. I'm going to read through a passage, and then a little later, we're going to talk about a couple of the verses in it. He wants us to be a forgiving people. He wants us to be the people who forgive, and he wants us to actually forgive other people. We are the ones that represent him on planet Earth, that we get to show his mercy and his grace to others. Matthew 18, beginning in verse 21, then Peter came to Jesus, to him, and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Now that sounds kind of generous, especially for Peter. This is big time generosity. And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. He's not saying count to 491 and then you can nail them. He's saying just blow it away. Be in the forgiving business. Be the gracious one in all of your relationships. Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. So he's giving a human illustration of the heart of God. Is it a perfect illustration? Humanity can't understand the perfect heart of God. So it's an illustration. We can understand part of the heart of God from this illustration. Verse 24, 
When he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now that's more than a lifetime's worth of money. This guy, in our language today, we would say maybe billions. That's how much this guy owed. Impossible to pay back. Um, But as he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold and that his wife and children and all that he had and the payment and that payment be made. So that's what they did back in that day. There was a place called debtor's prison. Now in our culture, in our day, and in our country anyway, you don't go to prison for debt, you only go to prison for fraud. Uh, You can face other charges for running up debts, but, but if you accidentally did it or had an unfortunate circumstance, there's laws called bankruptcy laws and other things that can protect people who are not innocent, who didn't fraudulently go into that debt. But in their culture, they didn't have that. Jesus isn't saying, hey, the right thing to do to people is sell their wife and kids too. He's not saying, he's teaching something that could have been done in their culture. He's using this as an illustration to these people. And then he says in verse uh, 27, uh, verse 26, the servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. Okay, that was impossible. It was impossible for him to earn enough money to pay all, but he was desperate. He was begging, he was pleading. And now verse 27, then the master of the servant was moved with compassion. He released him and forgave him the debt. The master said, you know, I feel, I grieve for this person. I, I'm gonna try and help him. And so he's, I'm gonna set that, date, that debt aside. Okay, verse 28. But that servant went out and fell one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denaria, like a few hours wages, And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet and begged him saying, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he could, till he should pay off the debt. But this guy who'd been forgiven so much, then went to this other guy who owed him a little and was vicious and obnoxious toward him. So uh, verse 31, when his fellow servants saw what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. We had a rule in our house about tattling. If it was dangerous or hurt somebody, you could tattle. This guy should have been tattled on. He was hurting somebody, intentionally harming somebody. And so he, he wanted to make sure that the master knew this. And the master was justifiably upset. In verse 32, then his master, after he'd called him and said to him, you wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have, made, have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I had pity on you? And his master was angry and delivered him to the torturers till he should pay all that was due to him. Now, look at verse 35. Everybody looking at it if you can. So my heavenly father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother 
his trespasses. Wow. If we don't show it to our brothers and sisters in Christ, our brothers and sisters on planet Earth, then God will not show it to us. God wants us to be forgiving people. So sometimes I let Megan and Kathy see my notes before the message and Kathy asked me a question. She said, well, you use Pharaoh as an illustration of sinning that hurts other people. Should they then have forgiven Pharaoh? And no, the Israelites didn't need to forgive Pharaoh because he was facing the judgment of God. They weren't executing judgment toward him. But if he had repented, God would have forgiven him. And then God's people would have forgiven him. Uh, King David had to deal with King Saul. Well, before David was king, he had to deal with King Saul. And David learned to forgive Saul. He never once acted out in retaliation. Not one time. He didn't pay back. He didn't attack. He had opportunities where it would have been very easy for him to have taken Saul's life. But he refused to do that. He forgave, and, and he honored God in his relationship with that obnoxious person that they used to be closer and now they're not, but he honored God anyway. God wants us to be forgiving people. So when do we need to forgive? When? Well, there's all kinds of occasions, right? I, I have a couple that we wrote down. When someone says something bad about you or your kids, you know, I found when somebody hurts me, I can forgive that a lot more easily when they hurt my wife or kids. That's a lot harder for me. Well, I know you say, well, he's a pastor. Yeah, but I'm also a Marine, right? Uh, I, I, I sometimes have to work at it to forgive somebody who hurts my kids or grandkids. When somebody has gossiped about you, you know it's false and they've said it and now people are believing it because often people believe the first thing they hear, whether it's good or bad, they believe the first thing or they hear it enough, they start to believe. Uh, Kathy once had a kid tell, say that she had pinched him hard and she hadn't done that at all. She hadn't pinched him at all. And there was no bruising, but there were people who thought, where there's smoke, there's fire. She must have done something. No, she hadn't. She told them to stop misbehaving. And, you know, I know some kids don't like being told to stop misbehaving. I had brothers like that. <laughs> no, we deserved each other. Listen, sometimes when someone's said or done something cruel, you know they intended to hurt, and you don't want to let it hurt, but it hurt. It's hard to forgive. And when somebody has rejected you, maybe you've done something to help somebody, you've given time and energy and money to help somebody, and they turn against you, and that's really hard to forgive. See, However you feel that you have been wronged, you can forgive. I'm going to say that one more time, okay? Listen up. However you feel you have been wronged, you can forgive. 
Doesn't matter if it was a little thing or a big, huge thing, you can forgive because God has given you the capacity. So how do we forgive? Well, there's some things we can do to learn to forgive. First of all, we remember how much God has forgiven us. Okay, now this is not something Jesus could do. Did you think about that? When Jesus said from the cross, Father, forgive them, he couldn't think, oh man, God's forgiven me so much because Jesus never sinned. He had nothing to be forgiven. And so we, on the other hand, we can think of how much God has forgiven us. Now, I know some of you people were really nice kids before you trusted Christ, or you were even nice adults before you trusted Christ. Uh, but you can also realize that Christ saved you from who you would have become without him. I, I was stunned to find out that most of the people I was closest with in high school, they either trusted Christ as Savior or went to prison. There, there was no middle ground. Those who got saved ended up not going to prison. Those who didn't trust Christ ended up going to prison. And there were several of them that spent uh, lifetimes in prison. But, but we have the opportunity because God has forgiven all all sin for all the people who repent, he's willing to forgive. So we remember how much God forgave us, then we can show kindness to other people. Secondly, we need to see their sin. We see, sorry, their need. We see their need. Back to the master in this story in, in Matthew 19. He saw his servant's great need. His servant was probably on his knees, hands up, like, please, please forgive me. Please give me more time. Uh, and so we can see the need. And you and I need to see people's greatest need. And their greatest need is not to pay us back for how they hurt us. Their greatest need is to trust Jesus Christ as Savior. Their greatest need is to be on the way to heaven instead of the pathway to hell. We need to model the mercy and grace of our God. We need to model the mercy and grace of our Savior Jesus Christ on the cross. We can say, Father, forgive them. We can do that. We see their need. And then thirdly, we choose compassion. As Jesus said, they don't know what they're doing. As verse 27 in this chapter of Matthew 18 says, the master had compassion on him. You know, we are in charge of our compassion meter. We can tune it up so we have more compassion. We can turn it down so we have less. You and I are in charge of our compassion meter. From the cross, Jesus said, they don't know what they do. Now, I'm going to paraphrase uh, Ephesians 4.32. Just like God forgives you because of what Jesus did for you on the cross, so you can forgive others because of what Jesus did on the cross. Just like God, when he looks at you and you have repented of your sin, God looks at you and he sees what his son did. We receive the righteousness of Christ uh, accounted to us. So God wipes out our debt entirely 
He doesn't just take it down to zero. He then credits our account with the righteousness of Christ. So his mercy takes our debt down to zero and his grace gives us the righteousness of Christ. And now we are righteous in the eyes of God, even though we weren't in all areas of our life. So God forgives because of what Jesus did. And you and I can do that. We can say, I'm going to forgive because that's what Christ would do and that's what Christ wants me to do. We forgive. And then fourth, we can trust God and choose to express forgiveness. We can trust God and choose to express forgiveness. Look again at verse 35. Matthew 23, 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Now, how many of you have read the model prayer, sometimes called the Lord's Prayer? Turn to Matthew chapter 6. Now, we recently finished a series of messages on how we as a church interpret the Bible to help us understand and and grow. And in that, one of the things we talked about was the context. You look at the context, what goes before and what comes after. And so what we're going to look here, if you have a red letter uh, edition of the Bible, of the scripture on your phone or uh, tablet or holding a Bible, then all of chapter, most of chapter 5 and 7 are in red, and all of chapter 6 is in red. This is a message from Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. He starts out by saying how you can be blessed and happy in your life, and he goes on to say the people, he ends it with, the people who follow my word and obey it, those will be wise people whose lives will stand the tests of of life, uh, storms of life. But in between, he has some different teachings that he's doing and uh, teaching how bad it is to hate somebody, how bad it is to lust after somebody, how bad it is. And he equates those things with murder and adultery, even though it's only in the head or the heart. uh, God said it's an evil thought. It's an evil action inside, even if you don't act on it outside. So now he comes down and he's talking a little bit about prayer and the need to pray to God in secret, not to pray to get attention. I'm really glad they don't do this in our culture, but it was a pretty hilarious uh, concept of what they did. Uh, They would go out and they would stand on the street corners and pray. And they would often have somebody blow a trumpet before they would pray to get people's attention. You know, do-do-do-do. And now Terry Green will pray. Listen, people. And they'd stand on the street corner like this and they'd pray. And and Jesus said, they're trying to get the attention of people. And when you pray to get the attention of people, that's all you get. You don't get the attention of God. But if you quietly in your heart pray to God, it's okay to pray in public like we did here. AJ didn't sin against God to pray out loud in front of people. Uh, it's okay to do that because that's part of our worship time together. But if he's just trying to get attention by doing it, you know, he didn't go up to Ben and say, hey, let me pray today. I want to pray today. Give me a shot. I want a chance. You know, he didn't do that. Ben went up to him and asked him. 
Okay, so, so when we pray, we pray to God. We, we turn our heart to connect to God's heart. That's what we're supposed to be doing when we pray. And then Jesus gave a model prayer. Uh, look in verse nine. In this manner, therefore pray. And he says the Lord's prayer or the model prayer. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or exalted be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Now, in the context, the next two verses go with that prayer. For if you forgive men their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. So if you want to receive God's forgiveness, what do you need to do? You, you need to show it. You need to get it. People who take God's mercy away from just a theoretical concept or a personal concept and put it into practice in your life. The praxis of showing mercy, not just the intellectual knowledge or the theological knowledge or the personal benefit. Now you're giving it out to other people. You are to be an ambassador of mercy. Now, why do we see Christians uh, arguing and yelling and screaming at people and some of them bizarrely trying to blow up buildings and say they do it in the name of God? That's not what Jesus did when he was on the earth. He spoke clearly, he confronted sin, but he also showed compassion to people. And we need to be people of compassion. We can forgive. We trust God enough that we choose to forgive. Some days, that's relatively easy. You don't have much to forgive. Some days it's hard. To be honest with you, I had a situation years gone by. It, it literally took me a couple of years to get to the place where I could confess my sin to God and say, I'm choosing to forgive that person, even though what they did was clearly wrong and sinful and hurtful and hurt people I love, I'm gonna forgive and I'm gonna let it go. Should it have taken me as long as it did? No. If I'd been more mature at the time, I could have done it a lot shorter window there. But see, here's the deal. We have to get to that place. Whatever they've done, whatever you've hurt, you have to get to that place where you can forgive. Now, don't think that if you forgive, you're going to trust them forever. Okay? 
Forgiveness does not restore them back to their place of trust. I've used this illustration here and teaching up at International Baptist College that if the treasurer of the church steals from the church, which will not happen here, we have too many checks and balances, uh, it would be immediately caught. Uh, there's no way that it could go on. But, but if that happened and then that person forgave, asked forgiveness and they made restitution, and could we forgive them? Absolutely. Would we ever want them to handle the money again? Absolutely not. For two reasons. We wouldn't want to put them in that place of temptation. And secondly, we wouldn't trust them like that again. So forgiveness doesn't mean I completely trust you. Forgiveness means I'm no longer holding it against you. It's between you and God whether you get forgiveness. We cannot forgive sin, but we can forgive the hurt and the pain and not hold it against them. We choose to trust God and we choose to express forgiveness and we choose to be people of compassion and we don't do it just from selfish motives. Well, I'm going to forgive John because I have to, because if I don't, then God won't forgive me, so I forgive John. No, that's not how we do it. We do it the way Jesus did from the cross. Father, forgive them. Forgive them. The very ones who hurt him, the very ones who spit on him, the very ones who smashed the crown of thorns into his head, the very ones who stripped the skin off his back when they were whipping him. That we forgive the way Jesus forgave. Because of the great work that God wants to do here, I'm willing to forgive that person so God can do his great work. And we can do that. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Speaking from the cross, Jesus forgave. And we are people of forgiveness because we have been forgiven. Do, do I hear a hallelujah out there? We have been forgiven, right? Hallelujah. And because that's what we do when we follow Christ. If you don't forgive, you're not following Christ. And we want to follow him. Heavenly Father, thank you for your love and grace and your mercy. We're so grateful. We so desperately need it. Even on our best, best days, Isaiah said our righteousness is like filthy rags. And Father, we have lots of days that aren't our best days. Thank you for your mercy. Thank you for your grace. Give us the strength that we need, the spiritual conviction, the compassion that we need to show your mercy and grace to other people. Whether or not they graciously receive it is not the issue. The issue is whether or not we show it because we follow Jesus. May we follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the Victory Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. If you'd like to know more about Victory, please visit our website at victoryarizona.org. You can also connect with us on our Facebook page or by emailing victory at victoryarizona.org. We'd love to help you accept and follow Jesus Christ.